My mum and dad always used to have a vegetable patch at the back of our garden. And growing up, it was, um, there was rarely a weekend went by where one of them or both of them didn't spend hours digging, digging it over and putting manure on it. They were the sort of people who would go out with a wheelbarrow to the, the lane on which we lived when horses went past, shovel up the horse poo, put it in the barrow, and go and put it on the, on the vegetables and things. It was, oh, it was, it was most embarrassing. <laughs> but at this time of year... They, had produced, they would produce some brilliant, brilliant fruit and vegetables. And um, we, obviously, would, would eat it. And I used to get sick and tired of rhubarb. Because they used to grow rhubarb, and I've, I've got no idea. Sadly, I'm not, I'm not, um, uh, I've not got green fingers at all. Um, but I don't know if rhubarb is particularly easy to grow. I don't know if they were just good at it. I don't know what it is, but they used to have tons of the stuff. And we used to have rhubarb on a very regular basis. And um, my brother and I, one evening, um, I, think, I think it was a Sunday, if memory serves correctly, we'd had a roast dinner, certainly. And we, um, pudding was rhubarb and custard. And I was finishing up my main course. Mum and Dad had long since finished up and were, were washing up. And um, we're, we're taking our time. We've been mucking around. So we're told, look, you've got to stay there and finish what's in front of you. Um, and so we, um, we, we, we finished our main course. And then we got on to pudding. And it was rhubarb and custard. Now, the custard bit, fair enough. Okay, yeah, we didn't mind custard. Rhubarb, we really weren't that keen. But we were both keen to get out and play. And so, anyway, we got these bowls of rhubarb and custard. And um, we got our dog's bowl. And we tipped it all, the lot of it, into the dog's bowl. And um, the dog was more than happy. She came over and started eating away. We thought, brilliant, problem solved. You know what dogs are like? They lick the bowl clean. The evidence will, be, will, will not be there. This is brilliant. So we put the bowls on the side and off we went into the back garden. About 20 minutes later, there was the, that, that, that call that you dread. Boys, get in here now! And you think, oh, that's not good. The tone of that, I can, I can just tell. So we, we went into the kitchen and we were both, we were both must have been looking guilty because, you know, small boys have that look. And um, we were presented with a dog's bowl. What we didn't realise was that our dog was no more keen on rhubarb than we were. <laughs> and so she'd licked off all the custard and eaten that and in her bowl was just this massive pile of rhubarb. And we got told off, as you'd expect. But our argument was, we had this all the time. We're fed up with it. Can't we, can't we have something different? We always have to have fruit and boiled fruit or, or um, stewed fruit or fruit pie or fruit crumb. To be honest, it sounds brilliant now I'm describing it. I don't know what I was moaning about. But we said, can't we just have a yoghurt or an ice cream or a chocolate ice like normal families? You know, can't you go to a supermarket for a change? Come on. And that was our argument. The next day, we had dinner, and it was, I think it was a pizza or something like that, and that was it. There was no pudding. And when we said, what, what's next, Mum? She said, oh, I didn't, I didn't bother. You, don't, you, you, you said you were fed up with it, you don't want it, I don't want to make you, force you to eat something you don't want, so don't worry about it. Ah, Right. Okay, we were both feeling a bit sheepish about the whole dog episode, so, um, so we didn't pursue it. Anyway, days went by and days turned into weeks. And it got to the point where, not too long after the event, we were begging. 
Come on, please do a crumble, do an apple crumble. No, you said you don't like it. Oh, but that was ages ago. Come, no, come on. I went to all that effort. I went to, we went to the effort of growing it, went to the effort of, of harvesting it, of storing it, of preparing and cooking, of serving it. And you, re, you rejected it, you refused it. So, no. And we learned a very important lesson. Don't take for granted what's put in front of you. You see, biblically, we have so much put in front of us. When we look at scripture, for a start, the Bible itself is a provision. The Bible itself is something that God has given us. And it's up to us to nurture it and to harvest it, to to get as much out of it as we possibly can. And then to share that harvest with those that we meet around around the world or in our daily lives. There is so much goodness in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in each and every one of us. We have to unlock it. We have to, we have to show to people why they need the Holy Spirit, why they need the presence of God in their every waking second and every sleeping moment, every breath they take. Because you see, imagine for a second if God was to take the same stance that my mother did and say, no, you've, you've rejected. You've said you, you don't want me. You've said that, actually, life's a lot more fun without me. You don't want my, my rules. You don't want my, my, uh, my, my safety. You don't want that, those guidelines to live by. So, um, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll take my spirit back. I won't dwell among you. I won't fill the land Instead, you make your own way. What would that mean for us? Well, for a start, we've said this morning, haven't we, that everything we have comes from God. So for a start, everything we've got would be taken away. No food, no, no nothing. Everything would be taken away. But also, what a, why would we bother? Why would we bother with right and wrong? Why would we bother with with living a certain way? Why would we keep law? Why would we try and be good people? Why would we care for others? There would be no motivation. In the animal kingdom, there's no no sense of of right and wrong. There's a sense of survival, and you see um, examples of of, of, um, animals protecting their young and that sort of thing, yeah. But I don't think you've ever seen a... A gazelle step in and say, say to a, a lion, hang on a second, look, there's a perfectly good coconut tree over there. You don't need to eat my mate. It's not right. It doesn't happen, does it? It would be bizarre because it's not the, not the natural order. The Christian life, if you take God out of, out, out of the world, then the natural order doesn't make sense. Life doesn't make sense. We would be missing something. We wouldn't move on, we wouldn't develop, we wouldn't learn. The world would rot and decay. The world would deteriorate very, very quickly. And eventually the human race, in not too many generations from now, would likely self-destruct. God preserves the world. God keeps the world 
as he wants it. This is why Jesus said to his disciples and others who were listening to him speaking when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are the salt of the earth. Now he wasn't sort of, Jesus didn't have a slight cockney moment and say to, say to his group of mates, you're the salt of the earth, you are? Yeah. Love having to spend a bit of time with you, it's great. He didn't mean that. He, he, sort of, he was coining the phrase, you are the salt of the earth. You are the ones that keep the earth fresh, that keep it good. You are the ones that, that keep the human race on track, that preserve it, that stop it rotting and decaying. You are the ones that stop people going bad. You are vital to keeping the world straight and narrow on God's plan. You are the salt. You are the preservative. And that's what we are. That's why it's so important. So, so important. Like we've heard today from Jenny, the, um, these, these workers in, in El Salvador. And there's many other projects like that where in incredibly dangerous places... Christian work is carried out. Love is shown to children. Children who otherwise would grow up in, in gang culture. In gang culture where if you don't pull the trigger quicker than the guy opposite, then you're going to be dead. In gang culture where people trafficking or drug trafficking, that sort of thing is business. That's, what, that's how you make your money. That's the only option you've got. Where violence and, and hatred are rife. Cultures that are decaying, that are self-destructing, that are only going to end badly. No one wins in a situation like that. But there is a preservative. There is God's church working. There is salt. And there is light. Light is hope. When you walk into a dark room, if you, the second you strike a match, it can be this hall, this hall in, in the dead of night with all the lights off and the curtains shut. It's completely black. It's a massive hole. You take one match and you strike it. And the light from that tiny match head means that this room is no longer dark. That's the difference we can make. We are a preservative. We are also the light. Light gives hope. We said, didn't we, when those um, uh, divers were trapped in the cave back in, uh, I think it was June time, around the World Cup time, um, when those boys were trapped in there and the divers came through, the second they saw, they saw light, the light of the divers' lamps as they bubbled up through the water, they knew hope for the first time in that situation, for the first time in days. When they saw light in the darkness, they saw hope. That's why we talk about Jesus is the hope of the world, the hope of the nations. Well, that's us now. We are the hope of the nations. We are the ones preserving. We are the ones illuminating. We are the ones keeping the world from going bad. We are the ones protecting creation. That is our job as Christians. What a massive privilege. And so, of course, in, in Billericay, gang culture isn't particularly rife, as far as I know. Um, I walked here this morning from the other side of town. I didn't fear for my life at any point. Crossing the road once or twice, maybe, but I've got away with it. But there are places in this world where you wouldn't dream of walking half an hour from your home. Because within half an hour, there are people who would quite happily kill you without batting an eyelid. 
We live in a world that needs God's protection, that needs God's goodness. We are in a world that, that needs salt, that needs light. People preserving, preserving the good of the human race, preserving the good of the Creator God, but also lighting the way to a better future. Offering these children hope is... I can't imagine anything more important than that. I really can't. Oh, I had the privilege this week of going into uh, Butsbury Infant School um, to do their Harvest Festival. And uh, I was privileged to be, to be invited to go along. Um, and uh, they, they sang loads of songs and were all um, incredibly cute and everything. And, uh, and then I gave an address. And I, I always remember my mother going to Harvest Festivals of mine when I was a kid and, um, and having a moan that the vicar... Uh, spoke to, to the parents and in her words he only wanted to make the mums laugh and so I thought right I'm not going to talk to the parents I'm going to talk to the kids and I actually had really good feedback afterwards so that was, that was great but what I said to the kids was that every single one of you is amazing I spoke about the line who put the tree inside the acorn in um, the, the song uh, uh, oh who put the colours in the rainbow the harvest song I'm sure many of you will know it there's, there's a line in there who put the tree inside the acorn and I spoke about the acorn and, and what's in it and how amazing it is and I said do you know what when God created that acorn he was pretty pleased with himself he, he thought that's, that's pretty cool and that is everything that you need to produce a, a massive big oak tree that's amazing but I said he wasn't he wasn't over the top he didn't get too excited about that one the one he got most excited about the one that he had a little holy fist pump when he, when he created it was when he created you. That's the one where he thought, that's it. That, do you know what? There's nothing else I can create that's going to better that. I've put inside human beings everything they need to prosper, everything they need to do amazing things in this world, to take advantage of creation, to use it, to, to nurture it, to, to enjoy it. I've put inside that human being. And every single one of us has so much potential, has so much to offer the world around us. And we've got a choice, haven't we? We can either use that for bad, following our selfish ambitions, following the ways of the world, or we can use it for good. Listening to God's word, obeying God's commands, living as God wants us to live. And so this, this harvest time, I think we should be inspired by these workers that we've heard about this morning in El Salvador. We should be inspired by the guts that they've got in doing the work they do in such hostile, in a hostile environment. But I think also we should be inspired to look at ourselves and say, God has given me so much potential, so much ability. Make a list of all the good things you've achieved in life. Keep it with you. Read it. Remind yourself that you are amazing. That you are incredible because God made you that way. And especially to our, our younger members this morning. I'll leave it to you to judge whether you're in that category or not. But you are amazing. You can go out there and change the world. You can make such a difference to, to people around you. You can influence people. You can, people will look at the way you live your life and they will be influenced by that, whether you, whether you mean it to or not. You will be a, a leader. And so I just urge you, be the best leader you can possibly be. 
Lead them to Christ. Lead them on a path that will prosper them. Lead them to fulfilment. Lead them to love one another. I think for each and every one of us, we have things in our lives that we're not proud of, things in our lives that we regret. But let's not beat ourselves up about that because we have a God who forgives us. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who looks at us and focuses on the good things that we do. We have a God who loves us. So this harvest time, let's, let's make sure that when God looks at the fruit that we provide, he sees, he sees goodness. He sees that we, we feed those around us in the best possible way, that we make a difference in the world, that we are the salt that preserves his goodness, that we are the light that leads people to him. Because, of course, by doing that, we are following in the example of Jesus. Jesus lived a life where he was constantly guiding people to him. He was saying, come to me, come to me. Know your father. And he was saying, preserve the world. So let's follow his example. And we're going to do that again. We're going to have a song before we share communion. But then we're going to come to the communion table. We're going to follow Jesus' example. The instruction he gave us. So as we worship now, let's prepare ourselves to share communion together.